Thank you and good morning. I can't actually hear anything this morning except myself, um, which means I rely on you to let me know if you can't hear me. It's very disconcerting, isn't it, Andy? I think the Lord has let me in to uh, an experience which is new to me but not new to you. And it's tiring, isn't it, trying to hear what people are saying. There are two notices I'd like to make. One is, uh, well, three things to ask you to pray for um, Terry and I as we go off on Tuesday to South Africa and Australia. And we'll see you all in December. Ask your prayers for journeying mercies and for the Lord's will to be accomplished in our trip and that we will be a blessing to those that we go to be with. Secondly, tonight is the town-wide celebration for Bible Society. Um, so I'm going to ask you please to come, even if you don't normally come out on a Sunday evening. It'd be lovely if you did this evening. Our speaker is Jeremy Lefroy. And um, it's at Trinity Church at half past six. So that's the end of the commercials. Let me pray for us. Lord, we have twice already this morning heard this story. And we pray now that as we think about it, perhaps a little more deeply, you would speak to our hearts, if you haven't already, about the implications for us of this particular part of the story of Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the way in which it can speak to our hearts and make us to be the people you need us to be. For we pray in your name. Amen. Last week Terry talked about us talked to us about Jacob's dreams. Um, Jacob, the favourite son of his father, one of twelve brothers and a sister dreamed two dreams. As I looked back again at what Terry had talked about last week, I thought to myself, seeing the reaction to his first dream, it's amazing that he then gleefully, if you read the text as it is, shared his second dream. You'd have thought that when he saw how his brothers reacted to the first dream, that they would one day bow down to him that he wouldn't have bothered with telling them the second dream, but kept it to himself. But he didn't, and this time even his dad got annoyed with him and uh, asked him what he meant by them. I was looking at the text and wondering if Jacob uh, saw these dreams as coming from God, or whether they were just dreams that he dreamt and he thought he'd share them. Dreams are strange things. I wonder how many of us, when we dream a dream, say to ourselves, was that of God? Because God does speak to us from time to time through the things we dream. But this morning we're thinking about shattered dreams. Those dreams we dream which are shattered. 
They are the stuff of life. They are the stuff of human life and we experience it. They're also the stuff of God. I want you to think back to God and the Garden of Eden. Remember at the end of the creation, God looked at what he had made and he said, it is very good. In Hebrew it means it couldn't be better. Reminds us of the story in Isaiah where it talks about the vineyard owner who planted a vineyard and then did everything he could to make that vineyard produce fruit. And it didn't. And in Isaiah it says, what more could the vineyard owner have done? And I guess God, when he had created this wonderful universe and he said it was very good, had that thought, I've done my best. There's nothing to add to this. A dream of a perfect world where people loved God and loved one another. Well, we know how that dream ended in chapter 3 of Genesis. And the dream had to be deferred. It was shattered, that original dream. Think of Israel, God's chosen people, and all the dreams he had for them, that they would be a light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of my people Israel. Well, that one didn't work out either. And then Jesus, all that teaching, all that healing, ending on a cross. And I guess the words of the couple on the Emmaus Road just about sum it all up because they said, we had thought, they said to the stranger walking by their side, we'd thought that this was, this was him. This was the one who was coming to save us. And then that tiny word, but. So you can see that uh, Dreams, which don't actually come to fruition, run throughout the Bible. And even God is subject to them. It's true of our lives too. I um, have done many, many weddings in my ministry life and continue to do them. And I haven't known a couple who hasn't stood there on their wedding day and made those promises with all their hearts. But today I'm no longer married for whatever reason. A dream which was shattered. And then the children we have. We all have known that experience of holding a newborn son or daughter and wondering what they would become, wondering how they would grow up only for some of us to find out that those dreams are not realized. Someone has said a mother is only as happy as her least happy child. And I want to say as a mum, that's absolutely true. We had a young couple in Blackburn who set off for the Congo with the leprosy mission 
Philip's father happened to be Terry's vicar when he was a curate. And they went to see their son and daughter-in-law off on the mission adventure. And then Stanley went home and he died that night. So when Philip arrived in Kinshasa, it was to the news that his father had died. And he flew back. And they'd only been there a couple of years before they had their third child, Josephine, who was born with severe spina bifida. And so they had to fly back again. And their life has been since then one of enormous blessing, but revolves round their daughter, Josephine, and the ministry they now have in St. Helens. Dreams again, which didn't work out. But you know, somehow in a wonderful way, we all go on living. And how well we live after the dream has been broken depends a great deal on how we handle the broken dream and who we handle it with. Where is our trust and where is our hope? And to whom can we entrust the broken pieces of our dreams? And so we come to Joseph and his brothers and the relationship which he had with them in this very tragic part of his story. Do you remember what Jesus said about murder? He kind of unpacked the commandment. He said, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say to you that if you hate your brother from your heart, that is murder. And here we see that actually played out in the story of Jacob. We heard last week that because of his dreams, his brothers hated him because they saw that he was his father's favorite. His brothers hated him. And that hatred grew to the point where actually they just wanted to get rid of him. And Paul, the apostle, says that we shouldn't let a root of bitterness take hold in our hearts. Because if we do, it grows to something uncontrollable until it controls us. And I think that's something we should take away from the story. Because it's a very real possibility that something can so get under our skin or get into our hearts that it colors absolutely everything else until we no longer have control of that particular thing. And that was true of Jacob's brothers. They let Joseph so get under their skin that their hatred for him in the end controlled them. And we've seen that, we've seen it. But we need to recognize it in our own lives so that we don't allow that to happen. The whole business of forgiveness, being able to forgive, being able to let go, being able to live with the broken dream is part of all that. Well, in the story of 
Jacob going off to look for his brothers. They weren't where he expected to find them. He thought he'd find them in Shechem, but no, they'd moved on to Dothan. And when they saw him coming, they said, look, here comes the dreamer, implying, I think, that the dreams had been the last straw. So they said, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, the empty wells. Reminds us so much of a couple of parables Jesus told where the, the owner of the vineyard came along looking for fruit. And they said, oh, look, let's kill these servants. And finally, they killed the son, thinking he was the heir. It's really interesting, the place of Reuben here, because Reuben was the firstborn. He was the head of the twelve. And as the firstborn son, he should have been the one with the privileges and the special coat and the special place in his father's heart. But that had been usurped by Joseph. So it's wonderful in a way that it's Reuben who says, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into an empty well. Because Reuben's idea was that when the other brothers had gone off, he would come back and rescue Joseph and take him back to his father, Jacob. Now, it may have been that that was perhaps a thought that Reuben had, that if I do that, surely my father will perhaps restore to me some of the position I ought to have as the head of the family. Who knows? But I love the fact that Reuben, although he was the one who perhaps was the most slighted, was the one who had the most reasons to be jealous of Joseph. He was the one who showed some remnant of compassion here. But it wasn't to be because for some reason Reuben disappeared off the scene. They threw him, Joseph, into the cistern and then they sat down to eat. Fast forward to Genesis 42 because I wonder if you can picture the scene. Here's these brothers sitting down to their picnic or their meal, but not a word in this account of what was Joseph doing until you get to Genesis chapter 42, when the brothers are finally confronted with the prime minister of Egypt and realize he's their brother. They say this, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. So you get the picture, not of just your peaceful meal, but perhaps in the background, Joseph, deep down in the cistern, pleading for his life, but the brothers ignoring him. Of course, we see here in Joseph the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Though he was the beloved son of his father, he too was hated by the world which he came to. And we see throughout his life the plots 
the plans to get rid of him. And finally, at the end of one of those parables, this is the heir, let us kill him. And many people love the story of Joseph because in it they see so much that reminds them of the Son of God and of Jesus himself. There's another brother who has something to say. His name is Judah. He's the fourth son in the family. They are intent on killing him. But at the last minute, Judah seems to have had a twinge of conscience. And when they see the caravan coming towards them, heading for Egypt, the idea comes to Judah that rather than kill Joseph, they should sell him. And so they did. They trafficked their brother. This is such a contemporary story. They trafficked their brother. They sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. How many hundreds of years later was it that a man with the same name, this time with an S on the end, but the same name, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's inflation for you. And it is unbelievable, isn't it, that today in our world, men and women and children continue to be sold for a lot more than 30 pieces of silver, as in our lifetime, People are trafficked and sold into slavery all over the world. This story is tragic and it reflects the tragedy of that situation in our lifetime too. And I hope if you have the opportunity, you read the various things which many wonderful organizations are trying to do to combat that trafficking. Of course, the boys here, the sons, the brothers, they didn't need the money. Tragedy is that parents sell their children in today's world because they can't figure out any other way of getting what they need to live. Reuben comes back and he discovers that Joseph is no more. He has been sold. But the precious coat is dipped in blood and taken back to the father. And Reuben says this, and perhaps this also will echo in your head a little. Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen now we must give an accounting for his blood. It reminds us so much, doesn't it, of the day of crucifixion, when the people baying for Jesus' crucifixion said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And so we come to Jacob and his shattered dream. Jacob's loss and grief. 
perhaps some of you here have had the great enormous sadness of losing a child. I don't think I've ever done a funeral for a child with the parents there where the parents haven't said, it should have been me, this isn't right, this is the wrong order of things. And that of course is what Jacob was experiencing, the enormous grief of losing a child, compounded by the fact that this was his favorite child that he had now lost. And we see the charade, really, the duplicity of the brothers who come one by one trying to comfort their father. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. There's something profoundly wrong with that, isn't there? The people who are causing the hurt then trying to heal the wound. But it does happen. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave for my son. And he wept all the more for him. And this loss and grief, of course, is also part of the stuff of our human state. We experience it in many, many different ways. But perhaps it strikes most deeply at the heart of all our families, which is where the pain of loss is most keenly felt. Jacob, too, had to live with his shattered dream. His beloved Rachel's child was gone. And we see later that he came to dote on the younger brother, Benjamin. And perhaps if we get that far in the story, we'll see that when Benjamin is finally taken down to Egypt to meet the Prime Minister. So this is a story of family life. Jealousy and boasting, secrets and lies, doing and saying things without thinking and then regretting them afterwards. The story of not having the courage to do the right thing. And all this is at the beginning of Israel, God's chosen people. You'd think that God at this point might have gone off and looked for a different family. But no, he sticks with his covenant love through thick and thin. He has with me, he has, he does with you as well. And of course, when the Garden of Eden dream was shattered, God then worked towards sending the Savior who would help us to find again the joy of that creation he longed us to enjoy. Through Jesus, God goes on hoping that we would be the people who are the salt and the light, the light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of my people Israel. Through us, God still hopes to find a people who will love mercy, 
live justly and walk humbly with their God. That is us. That is the calling of the church. God goes on hoping and dreaming that we will become the people that he longs for us to be. And we live unlike the people of Israel on the other side of Jesus. What privilege that is, isn't it? And we have the Holy Spirit of God to enable us. So we should be better than Jacob and his family. We really, really should. But alas, we still struggle with the same things. But wonderfully, God does not give up on us. And the dream, of course, for Joseph did come true. And I wonder whether when his brothers came to Egypt that day and bowed down before him, he even thought of the dream. I like to think that he didn't. And I don't think he did. But God thought of the dream. And it was his purpose that was fulfilled on that day and through Joseph. I love and am moved by the line in a song we sometimes sing, you've set your hope in me. Amen.